The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. For a full list of current recommendations and stocks owned by staff, members of Intelligent Investor can visit www.intelligentinvestor.com.au. Welcome to Stock Take. My name is Gaurav Sodhi. Joining me today is analyst James Carlo. Welcome, James. Hello. Also with us is the very noisy Mickey Mordek. G'day, Mickey. Uh, thanks, Gaurav. Sorry, that wasn't me. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm sure um, might be might be Steph in the background there. Yeah, you're noisy in away. general. In general. <laughs> Not this specific instance, just generally. Very noisy. <laughs> How you been, Mickey? Haven't been, it's been a while since we've had you in the podcast. Where are you now? You're at... Um, you're still you're in the office or you're at home? You're at home, right? No one's in the office. We're, no, we're the, yeah, so we're still observing social distancing. So uh, spending... Especially in Victoria. The Premier's been getting upset about people going to oh, really? uh, okay. the office in Victoria. Yeah. I wasn't oh. sure. Because you guys have a tiny office um, over there. I thought maybe some of you might be headed back. Well, well it's public transport. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Well, there's plenty oh. of public transport, but uh, it's fine. it's fine by me working from home. No, no, but the, I think the Premier doesn't want you going on it. That's what my, That was my understanding, but anyway. Well, they seem to be running it, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but they, yeah, they don't want people squeezing onto so it. Anyway. Just, they just want a bunch of empty trains. Yeah, yeah running. So essentially, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it does highlight the point that I'm not sure we all know what we're doing during this time. Um, most, gen- most specifically governments. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure anyone has a plan... Um, there was an interview with one of the Chinese medical honchos done on, I want to say New Yorker, but it may have been someone else as well, somewhere else as well. But um, in any case, they were they were speaking with an American news outlet, and um, you know they were, they were just kind of talking about how successful they've been in curbing the virus and taking all these extra additional plans. Um, and one of the journalists asked him, "Okay, so what happens long term? Um, you know, what's the plan?" And he just paused and he said, there's no plan. No one has a plan. <laughs> there's no plan long term. <laughs> just winging it. Well, we all are a little bit. I mean, yeah. Government I think that's all you can do. I think yeah. that, that is actually all you can do. Because we, we, we find out more about it all the time. And, you know, um, who knows what the future holds, really. <laughs> well, um, but gents, we are living through one of the most extraordinary rebounds I have ever seen. I mean, I'm generally very optimistic about stocks um, and have been generally quite optimistic, um, but this is um, extraordinary. The bounce back we've had, the fact that it's been so broad-based and um, a lot of stock prices are now back to where they were pre-pandemic, some of them are even higher, really begs the question. JC, perhaps you can go first here. Have we gone, have we done too much too soon? Are stock prices starting to worry you a little bit now or are we all right? Well, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, they are starting to worry me, but it's it's more a, a function of of you know. I mean, talking personally, what I've got invested. So if if you um, if you invested a lot as the market was falling, um, then then after the rebound, you're going to have a lot more invested now than you did before even the pandemic struck. And so you have to ask yourself whether it's you know the market's still a little bit cheaper than it was, but to have more invested now, um, given the risks. Um, especially when I got a mortgage, I can pay off if, if I sell a stock. Then, mm. you know, to me, the balance of risks has has shifted. So, I mean, 
I've, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to call whether the market was expensive. I don't really try to do that short term. And most of the stocks I'm looking at are still pretty well priced, um, you know. But they're not the giveaway prices that they were. And I've now got way more invested, or I did have uh, way more invested than I had before the pandemic, hmm. um, and certainly more than at the bottom. Um, and so, so yeah, no, I've been, I've been selling, selling. Uh, some stuff quite heavily, really. I've sold yeah, wow. maybe quarter quarter of my portfolio. Oh wow! Because you've been, um, I mean, I have to say, everyone's been pessimistic a lot. You, James, have been one of the few voices I've heard who's been quite um, willing to buy and quite optimistic during the whole thing. Actually, even even during the depths of it, you know, you're you're, you're still trying to urge us to to buy stuff. I know you're buying stuff yourself, and. Okay, so now well, you get, I, unfortunately, you... I was a bit too optimistic. Maybe it means you don't get the bottom, doesn't it? So I, I, most of the stuff I bought was on the way down. So I can't claim to be too clever. But even so, it's you know showing a decent profit now. And yeah. as I say, it means that my overall portfolio is now way bigger um, mm. than it was. Um, I mean, I, as I say, I have this luxury, if you can call it that, of, of having a mortgage. So my my portfolio <laughs> can sort of flex up and down. According, I've got a, I've got a viable alternative, is what mm. I'm trying to say. Paying off mm. my mortgage makes me whatever it is percent a year mm. um, in saved interest, um, and when you, especially when you take the, the tax into account. Um, uh, so, if, if you don't have that, then you have cash as an alternative, which is which, which is harder to flex, as it were. Um, but it it would be hard to justify now. I think having a, a more invested in shares than you had. Um, before we really realised the extent of the pandemic. Mickey, what about you? Yeah, well, uh, I agree with with James. I think it's you, you've got to look at these things uh, in terms of the actual businesses. I think I've tried to avoid thinking about you know whether markets overvalued or undervalued I, because I I think that's generally not helpful unless you you know considering maybe buying an ETF or something like that, and I think. You know what we're trying to do. We're not looking to buy ETFs. We're looking to try and find you know individual businesses. So, like if you look at the ASX 200, and that's the market. It's mostly you know, some big banks, some miners, property, maybe some telcos. And so you never have to own those stocks. So you're better off just kind of it, even if the market is overvalued, um, you're still just better off looking for individual businesses. Uh, kind of trying to figure out. Are they going to be affected by the virus? Will they make it to the other side? Uh, and and I think that way you don't you don't you don't get too focused on the macro, and you can uh, you don't miss the opportunities um, that that can present themselves when yeah. when things look really scary. I agree with that. I think the looking at the market in aggregate is a complete waste of time. I I don't even know why so many people do it, it especially in Australia. It tells you nothing. The top 10 stocks are, what, 60% of the market or something, maybe more. It just makes no sense to base your entire investment decisions on what the aggregate is doing when they're dominated by a handful of, of companies. So, yeah, I, I yeah. completely agree. But I've been, I haven't been, look, I've been surprised by the speed of the turnaround, but I, I don't think it's been irrational and I don't think it's been steeped in optimism either. Most fund managers I read about, and most analysts who I speak to are still quite pessimistic, and I'd call JC and myself still um, unusual in that regard. And that we're we're both 
you know been a bit more positive um positive about the market you read commentary and most people um are, are, are really wary of where the market has gone and and uh most people are still predicting um businesses to be in a lot of trouble um later on this year i think there was a survey done and something like 90% of fund managers said they are sitting on cash elevated cash levels and that they expecting a pullback so this is not as though the market is overly enthused at these levels and that that makes me think that yeah it makes me a bit more comfortable um so i haven't actually been taking profits um there's stuff disappearing from our buy list i've been watching our buy list shrink slowly as prices go up and the buying opportunities disappear but i i, I don't necessarily think we need to go out and sell a lot of things um and and the for me the opportunity set has changed the the high quality stuff is now probably not as interesting but i think if you look further down some things at at the pointier end um things like retail um maybe property i think that that auto sector those things are um a bit maybe a bit more interesting for mine scary stuff yeah, scary i think stuff. the 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 interesting thing is that that I, you know, I don't want to try to guess, second guess the sentiment, but I think what's happened is that in the in the teeth of the, you know, in in at maximum fear, if you like, in uh, when the market bottomed in March, mm. uh, everyone was just uh, you know terrified of what was happening um, and was was sort of selling uh, in response to that that fear essentially, and then everyone sort of sits back with with the cash that they've got or whatever. Yep. Um, and wondering what to do with it, you know, and, uh, you know, most investors, institutional investors don't have these mortgages to flex in and out of. And so they're, they, you know, they're sitting there saying, right, now I've got all this cash. What do I do with that to make a yield to, to pay my pensioners or, or whatever it is? Hmm. Um, and the answer is there's not much except for shares because <laughs> they yield that much more, um, assuming they continue to make some profits. Hmm. Um you know, so you know the the cash and bonds aren't making very obvious alternatives. With the the bond yield, uh, the thirty year U.S. bond yield is is what is it around a percent and a half or something? Hmm. Um, so I think you know when people actually sit back and and you know and the fear is when everything's calmed down a bit, you know, um, there's not much alternative to shares really. Yeah, I, I mean, and the government clearly doesn't want people saving. You know they they're doing everything that they can to push interest rates lower and uh, like all the fiscal stimulus we're talking about you know for example the home buyer grant or you know money now to do home renovations uh, so I think you, you can't underestimate the government response to this and I think they've also shown they're going to do basically whatever it takes to keep people spending money keep uh, keep money flowing through the economy and so. If whether that solves the underlying real issues, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe it's just a matter of creating enough money to, you know, uh, devalue the, the currency and potentially keep people, you know, spending. So um, not not that that's definitely going to happen, but um, it looks like that's what's what's taking place all around the world now. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's right. Like you haven't got many options in terms of what you do with with cash right now. I think the psychology here is quite important as well. Um, most people will be looking at the um, recovery from the lows. And um, if you do that, it looks really swift um, and maybe a little bit crazy. But um, 
if you look at the where we are from the top, um, I, I think that actually looks all right. Uh, to me, the market actually looks quite rational um, and it's behaving the way it ought to be behaving. I still think um, those scary stocks are still priced quite low for a um, extended period of, of losses and that's probably correct. So if you're going to play in that area, you're taking on additional risk to earn additional return and that's also what should happen. And those, I think, if anything, those ultra high quality things, stuff like Zero um, and um, some of those technology name, they've probably they look a little bit um, overdone to me. That that that's actually seems to me that they've become the new safe havens, um, as people you know they're not going into banks and 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 other blue chips for their safe havens. They're going into these um, these these big new tech stocks. And mm. they well, look, I think I think people are saying uh, that that you know the the cash flows aren't really going to be affected too much sure um and yet we've got lower interest rates to plug into the dc yeah that's true so that's, so true. that's yeah um and then I, I mean you know so i suppose those two things balance out and that's why we're back at you know pre, mm. pre-pandemic levels but as you say um the the more scary stuff the travel stocks and things like that um still priced at, at big discounts to where they were or some um, of part them. of part of that's been affected by capital raises as well yeah sorry you say yeah yeah, some of them, you're right, some of them are still um, quite low. So um, I guess I, I was thinking about things like um, uh, that that whole car sector, auto sector, is still much cheaper than it was a couple of months ago. But something like Webjet has really shocked me how it's bounced back. The cap market cap on Webjet is now larger than it was before, um, which surprises me. I'm surprised. So before, before the capital raising or? Uh, yeah, pre, uh, no, before the I pandemic. mean, it's not larger than it was in January. <laughs> Isn't it? No, I don't think so. But I mean, well, it's 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 raised a lot of money as well. Remember, but but uh, the market market cap's still on the way down. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, yeah, I wouldn't hold the, I wouldn't value the cash at you know one for one in that business. That's going to be that's going to disappear. Well, it's soon. being spent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, the recovery has been quite selective as well. It, I mean, I'm surprised also that why the way some sectors have been left behind i think retail is still looking quite interesting but even within retail there are some stocks that have shot up um i think one of the best retailers is um super cheap auto and um they've gone bonkers that that share price has gone nuts um and i was hoping you know we could get a chance to have a look at that um, but really it just looks a bit over overdone um, but there are others that are still looking very very cheap so uh, it's a very discriminating market, and um, that's usually a sign of rationality at work. So it, it just doesn't seem to me that we're in um, over bullish, enthusiastic territory where prices are being whole, mispriced wholesalely. Um, and that's probably why I'm still feeling pretty good, actually, about about where we are. You're talking me around, or about <laughs> <laughs> well, no? But I think you're right about it being selective. I think people are desperate for some long-term, you know, cash flows, and and so that 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 is rational, isn't it? And so mm. that's why the, the quality stocks and those with with some decent growth prospects, uh, you know, have been um, are, are almost back to their um, pre-pandemic levels. But uh, yeah, the 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 market's being very selective. Now we've been um, actually we've been pretty selective as well in expanding our buy list, which has at one point I think I counted more than thirty stocks, which is the largest buy list I've ever seen in my time working at II, um, and that's starting to to whittle down a little bit, but it's still a fairly large number. I think I counted a couple of days ago, 
16 or 17 stocks, which is still a, a pretty decent number. And most people would, um, any one time, are probably looking for a handful of buys. Um, so they've got decisions to make, our members. Um, and so to help them out, we've put out a, a special report about the best buys. Now, that report, I think, has already gone out. By the time you're listening to this, it'll probably go out, or if it hasn't gone out yet, it'll go out soon. Um, you'll still see it in any case. Um, what we wanted to do now is just to give our own personal um, tips for what our individual best buys might be. Um, they can be selected from our buy list, but might be interesting also, fellas, to delve off the buy list um, if you have any ideas that you've been looking at that, for whatever reason, haven't made it to the list yet. So, um, Mickey, let's let's begin with you. What's your best buy, and are there things you've been looking at off the buy list that are interesting as well? Yeah, so there's a few stocks I've looked at uh, off the buy list, uh, but I've I've gone with a couple that are on the buy list. Um, so the the main one for me would be United Overseas Australia, just given that a lot of other companies on the buy list have already run up quite a lot, whereas that's stayed pretty much. It's almost as if the pandemic didn't happen. Really, it's it's pretty much done nothing the whole time. It's it's down a bit from the. Uh, well, it was up into the eighties, wasn't it, in um, February? Well, yes, yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. So I guess it has come. It hasn't back recovered, a bit. yeah. It's come back a lot, but not recovered. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's fair. So United Overseas is the Malaysian property developer, and so uh, commercial property will probably take a hit um, through this through this period. Uh, although it remains to be seen by how much, uh, particularly kind of the hospitality, the hotels. Uh, that they run, and even the office space. Uh, the the reason that I like it at this stage uh, is although it might be uh, a bit of a headwind in the in the near term, this business has no debt whatsoever. It's got four hundred million dollars cash on the balance sheet, and these guys have been got a fantastic track record over the last thirty years of buying into these types of conditions. So through the GFC, the Asian financial crisis. For example, they, they put a lot of cash to work and that set them up for the next 5, 10, 15 year periods during those kind of distressed periods of time. So, uh, yeah, so so the, the management looks good and uh, they, they own, you know, almost 90% of this business. It's, it's like their private, uh, you know, investment vehicle, uh, except it's public and uh, so, so we, you know, we, we can see the track record there and... Uh, I just think that these are the conditions that are kind of made for this business, and having four hundred million dollars on the on the balance sheet right now with no debt, uh, I think, is 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 a great place to be. Uh, and that, that's and, against the market cap of how much, Mickey? Oh well, the market cap now is about a billion. So that's a big big percentage, isn't it? Yeah. NAV, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's huge. And uh, so, I mean, if you consider the 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 whole thing is trading at about seventy percent of book value so uh, you're really not paying and 40 percent for of that book is cash it's about it's about 30 percent uh okay. because of minority interests and oh, things yeah. like okay. that right. uh but they've got 400 million that they can actually deploy um but about 300 million you know attributable to the um to us as shareholders uh and, and it's only on nine times last year's earnings as well so uh, I think in terms of value for money and in terms of, you know, risk and uh, so over a five to 10 year horizon here, I think that looks pretty good. So 
It's definitely the best Malaysian property developer I've ever seen. Do you want to mention, is there anything, so you said that nothing else um, off the list um, really inter interests you at the moment? You're not, you're not focused on anything well, else? Well, there was one, one other stock and I, uh, Go on, I maybe. did mention Don't be shy. Well, I, I did, I did mention it at the Dragon's Den, but it didn't, didn't get through. I did. uh, was on Omni Bridgeway. Oh yeah. Uh, so this was the litigation, oh, the litigation funder. funder. And, we hated uh, it. We hated it. I don't think anyone everyone liked hated it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, it's actually up since then. Um, so well, that's the, the, way. the government said it was introducing new rules against that uh, yeah, uh, litigation funding, yeah. didn't they? And and the, and the stock price went up that day, didn't it? Because uh, I looked, and it was, um, uh, which is a bit curious. Is yeah. there a reason for that? Or well, that I think this is something that they've been fighting for for a long time. Is is oh. getting more licensing and regulation into this industry and that's to um you know that that'll just increase the barriers to entry hopefully right. uh the, the reason that it, it looks interesting now is it, it i didn't get this at the time or i kind of missed this at the time uh thinking about all the negatives and it, it's actually a good point sometimes you should stop and think well who are the winners going to be out of this rather than you know who, who's not going to lose but uh, Lawyers, yeah, yeah just the, be the, <laughs> the amount of litigation that's going to come out of all of this, you know, broken contracts and mm. uh, you know um, mass layoffs and everything. You know, th these guys are going to be busy for for years sorting this sort of stuff out. So that's good for their thumb. And uh, but I mean, ultimately, it was a um, bit of a complicated idea. The accounting's a little bit tricky, and uh, but I think long term. Uh, as well, that's going to become a more competitive space. Um, mm. Barriers to entry aren't aren't that high, really. So, but over the next medium term, uh, you know, it's got it's definitely well placed, given given coronavirus. But I mean, this doesn't take. All right, Mickey, this is not another dragon's den for it. Don't try, <laughs> don't try and sneak one through. <laughs> well, the price has gone up now, so um, so. So we were wrong. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. No, well, I mean, it's a different <laughs> equation at the current price. So, oh, okay. I, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it always feels bad because Mickey has, had, had done so much work on the Dragon's End. It was a really well-presented idea and um, the numbers looked quite good. And, yeah, we were quite, we were quite harsh on him. Um, so, yes, and, and the share price went up <laughs> afterwards. So I don't blame you for bringing that one up. <laughs> I don't think we were harsh, but... Uh, we were skeptical. pretty unanimous. Skeptical, I think, is the... Uh... It's unusual for a a dragon's den idea to be um universally condemned <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, i don't yeah i think you're, i think i'm not sure that's my, that's not my memory but I, I think that we just i mean look we, i don't quite get it is is the answer mm. and i think that that's part of your bull case isn't it mickey because i think the market doesn't perhaps quite get it uh is is mm. i mean it's um i think so yeah. It's a little bit. It's a little bit like it's, it's a. It's an unusual business model, and the earnings are so lumpy and inconsistent that hmm. uh, you can't plug it into a you know a, 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 a traditional valuation model and put it on twenty times earnings. You've got to uh, you've got to do a bit of work to normalize the earnings and and even to kind of guess at what they're going to be. But but it's also, also just. Sorry, yeah. carry on. Yeah, oh, I was. Yeah. I was yeah, going to say it's hard to see the, the the barriers to entry. I think that was our concern: is that competitors come along. They've got a great track record, but that was a, a track record built when there haven't really been too many competitors, and yeah. um, it, it's getting harder now. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, no, that's true. Um, and so, yeah, so there were definitely legitimate uh, reasons that it, it, um, it doesn't feel quite as robust. However, you know, it's got that long-term track record. I mean, mm. uh, going back to um, the early 2000s of having done this and they've got a really phenomenal track record over that period. So It was always uh, a, I yeah. think most of this record was built up as a niche service um, where there wasn't many competitors. It's now become an alternative asset class in itself mm. and, and hedge funds have actually gone out and now hired lawyers on their own books and are funding litigation cases as an entirely um, separate asset class. So it's, it's actually quite crowded. There's a lot of competition building in that area. I also think it's a really grubby space where it doesn't really serve um, – it, it doesn't solve a, a, a pressing problem. And oh, it, people need to be able to bring cases. Yes, they I do. Mean, people need to get... be able to get justice. No, that's that's true. Yes, no, no, that's correct. I guess what I'm saying is that there's a risk of um, because the the historical returns are quite high and the barrister entry are quite low. I think the industry risks um, over servicing, and that yeah, invites no, no, a lot no, of no, um, yeah. a lot of regulatory lockdowns. And and you, you kind of expect that. I I don't think it can it can function the same way it has in the past. There has to be more controls about what it can and can't do. There's just a lot of and the accounting was a mess. I must say, the numbers were really hard to comprehend. Um, I didn't. I must admit, I didn't quite get it either. But I think that is part of the bull case. Yeah. Well, no, that's all good. We'll just have to yeah. wait another fifty percent to upgrade it, and then <laughs> um... <laughs> after it doubles, we'll have a look at it again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, just kidding. Um, so for me, this the stock that I wanted to bring up was South Thirty Two. Um, it, it's one that. Um, I think it's always running below the radar because it doesn't. It's not a top tier miner, um, even though it got cast off from a top tier miner. Um, people don't think about it. it's a hodgepodge collection of, of strange um, assets. You know things like um, manganese and alumina, uh, a little bit of nickel, a little bit of coal. It's just it's a hodgepodge of assets that's been spun off, and it doesn't really get a lot of attention. What it does have is all these assets. Um, they're not tier one grand mining assets, but they are very profitable. They're relatively low cost and the business is just really well managed. They're sitting on a heck of a lot of net cash. Um, they got a great track record over the years. I feel as though we know this business really well and it's just cheap. It's sort of, um, it, I, for me, it should be trading at a premium, a small premium to asset value. And it's trading at the moment at a huge discount because commodity prices have especially these quite um, specific commodities that South 32 deals with have been hammered by the pandemic and also by cyclicality. Um, so I think this is a really interesting opportunity. Unfortunately, it's actually jumped quite a bit since um, since it's up 5% today for some reason. And ideally, you want to get this around the $2 mark. I think that makes a, a really good buying. But I mean, even now, it's not a crazy idea. You know, there's still a very healthy discount and margin of safety baked into today's share price. So I think that's a it's a really good idea. Is is the net, is the asset value at risk of uh, of write downs with the commodity prices so much lower? Yeah, no, look, I I don't think so because the, on the cost curve, they're actually still quite low, and the return on on assets is still reasonable for almost all their commodity groups. Now they're going to get out of some of their lower performing. Um, mines, they're on the market for sale, and I value those things at zero already. Um, and they've got a couple of development assets, two really good-looking new mines 
that are on the books at acquisition costs, but I think which are worth far more, um, obviously, as those things are developed. One of them in particular, they've got this mine called Hermosa. Just looking at this thing, this looks like a copycat of Cannington. I think this could be a, billion, a multi-billion dollar mine in itself, um, but it requires probably four years of development expenditure. So look, at, you have to probably have to be patient to realize full value out of this. But the thing with miners is you just got to buy them when they look very yucky. And it's really hard to do. Um, and this doesn't look great at the moment I on any metric. Impossible. Yeah, but this is the time to do it. <laughs> well, this is the way we made money from it last time as well. It's, I think it's also the capital allocation, right? Like that's the tricky, because when you get all the cash and then you've got to redeploy that, hopefully, you know, you're doing yeah. it. That's the hard part, I guess. Well, that's the good story about this business. Though. It's just, it's superbly managed. I think this, this is one of the best managed miners in the world. Um, and they were doing good capital allocation well before the big boys were doing it. So I'm very comfortable with management here. I think it's a it's a really interesting idea. Um, and that was one for me. The one off the buy list that I recently bought myself, another Dragon's Den reject, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think, uh, so I, um, it's AMA Group. I wrote this up as an ideas lab after it got thrown out, um, 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 I think, among fits of laughter and outrage from the Dragon's Den. It wasn't popular at all. JG in particular, I think, was really scathing of this idea. I think Graham was the only one who thought it was interesting, and the rest of you guys hated it. And then it probably halved in price, so you guys are probably right. But um, <laughs> it's carrying the reason it's not on the buy list, it is carrying um, enormous levels of debt. And I think there is genuine balance sheet risk with this business. And we're not going to recommend a, a company that has. Um, you know, such an exposed balance sheet, especially at a time where the revenue is going to be falling for the next little while. But the reason I think it's interesting is is if they can come to the market and raise some capital, this is actually a, a relatively robust business. It absolutely dominates its um, its market. So AMA is a um, it's a collection of panel beating shops, and um, they have uh, I think it's like thirty percent of the, of the market for for panel beating. Um, and you might think that's a lousy business, but what they've done is that they've really cleverly invested in processes and in technology to turn cars around really fast. Um, so I think they do about 80% of all their repairs within eight hours. Um, and what that does is it turns the business into a bit of a, a, a bit of a, I think of it like a manufacturer with a with a fixed cost asset base that it turns over cars really, really quickly. Um, the returns on capital are, are quite good over time for this business. It's it's an owner manager running it. He um, and um, they've had a really good track record. I think it's quite an interesting idea for um, a rebound, but it is really hairy, and I, this is not one for risk averse investors, and it's one for a very low capital allocation limit. I'm really in there hoping they raise capital at some point, fix up their balance sheet, at which point we'd look at it again um, as, as an II idea. But um, yeah, it's hairy, but it's interesting. Um, and um, since I might just throw one in more, one more in there since I've got the mic. Um, another, <laughs> another Dragon's Den reject was uh, Pacific Smiles, which um, actually most, I think from memory, most people didn't mind the idea, but it was very illiquid and small and we had trouble... Um, with those risks. Um, now it's still liquid and it's still small, but again, um, for this kind of segment, I, I think it's a, it's a really cracking idea. Um, if you're interested more about Pacific Smiles, I wrote a, um, an ideas lab on it, so you can look that up. The stock code is PSQ. Uh, JC, what do you have? 
Well, I've struggled with this a bit, I've got to say, because, um, like I say, I mean, I've, I've sort of been selling a, a little bit. I mean, not not that I don't, that, you know, there are stocks that I'm very happy to hold, but I, I, was, I was holding too much of them, I suppose. So finding stuff to buy has been difficult. Um, so the way I looked at it is if I had a completely blank slate, zero portfolio, um, where would I be looking to, mm. to make a start? Um, oh, I know where this is going. Well, the first two stocks on my list would yep. be um, uh, Omni Bridgeway and AMA Group. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm afraid. You, but, but Mickey has taught me around to UOS, actually. I, I mean, I, I hold UOS. Um, and, yeah, I also uh, hold UOS and it, it uh, Omni Bridgeway. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it, I actually laughed when the the stock came, first came up, and I and yeah, I was scathing of the idea. But then when it got explained, yeah, it got through the dragons, and I think unanimously yeah. at the end. Yeah, US. Yeah. I mean, it's a great great stock, and Mickey's explained it pretty well. And yeah, um, that would be I think probably number three on my list. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, so number one. Uh, oh, what about number two? Let's let's do the top three here, James. Let's don't keep yeah, yeah, we're, gonna, we're, we're getting to it. Just patience. <laughs> okay. So number one on the list will be right. Ordinate, of course, um, which yeah. I think is a great opportunity. Yeah, still, yeah. I mean, Agreed. it was an even better opportunity at two fifty or whatever it got to. Um, but we're still at six fifty. Um, it's my biggest holding, uh, um, and um, I, you know, I think it's it's very attractive at current levels. The interesting thing with Ordinate is that. Um, uh, it seems the market seems to be pricing it as though you know there's a direct risk to it from mm. um, you know a lack of you know because it makes um, money by putting get, getting its chips into uh, um, audio equipment uh, audio equipment that yeah. get, that goes into you know big stadiums and conference centers and stuff mm. like that so mm. um, but I think what the market's not really taking account of it is that you know the the, the um, value in ordinate is very much in in the future you know at the moment mm-hmm. the the penetration of its digital um, av technology is relatively low and you know what we need is for conferences and, and stadiums to be full uh, you know in five ten years time uh, 20 years time um, and i'm pretty confident they will be and, and so I, for me the the story really hasn't changed a great deal um They've, they, they, the company raised capital last year really to accelerate its growth plans, um, and it has sort of scaled back those growth plans now, which I, is slightly a bit of a regret, actually, to me. I mean, I suppose it, it wouldn't have wanted to raise money again yeah. to, to maintain that. So obviously revenues are going to be a bit lower than, than anticipated, so it's not going to be making the cash flow. You know, it'll be, it'll be losing cash. Yeah. That was um, it's such a good time to raise money as well. I remember people were questioning Ordinate for doing that. Everyone yeah. going, "Oh, you cash flow positive," and so it's yeah. good, good foresight, I guess. To- well, it was, and and you know they they want to um, make make the most of their market donors, and they want to you know roll out a lot of products um, and bring bring forward those cash flows, uh, bring 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 them closer, so so to increase the value. But you know it it, it raised money. It wasn't at seven dollars, um, and uh, you know yeah. the price is now six fifty. So you know um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it raised money again, um, just so that it can re- restart those growth plans. Mm. Um, you know, rather than holding the money to sort of um, as protection. Mm. Um, but. Uh, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be, um, you know, sad to see it do that um, at these levels. I mean, I, I think it would have been very uh, dilutive at 250 or something. But um, so I think that's a great opportunity. Number two on my list would be 
um, Altium, funnily enough. I knew it, uh, yes. Which <laughs> is, well, it's it's um, a bit, so we, we our buy price is $30 and it's currently yeah. 37 so it's a bit higher than that. Um, I mean, you guys sort of, uh, when it went to the Dragon's Den initially, it was about this level and um, yeah. you guys sort of uh, pushed push back against it and thought it was a bit pricey and a uh, good thing too, because it meant we got to upgrade it at a much lower mm. price and hopefully members were able to buy it at that price. Um, if I had a blank slate, I would still, I think, have it second on my list to buy right now. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, look, I'm a bit more uh, loose with my valuations, I suppose. And, you know, with these with these great businesses with a long, long runway, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of prepared to push the boat out a little bit. Um, and Altium sort of fits that mold. Um, but, I, but I say that having sold some shares in it. Um, over the past week or so, just to bring my, you know, because I, I'd loaded up at lower prices, um, and and you know it's it's up significantly. It bottomed at about twenty three dollars, um, and uh, you know so at thirty seven or so, you know there's a, you know my, my holding was getting a bit, <laughs> bit uncomfortable. So, um, so that's the story with that. Hmm. Yeah, it's also I think it's my second largest holding as well. And and kudos on the work everyone's done. Um, I think we've all have had a go at. Having having a good look at Ordinate, and um, I think it's a, it's a cracking idea as well. Happy to see it on the buy list. Um, anything off the buy list? We've been focused on trimming. Have you, James? Well, I don't know. I, I tend most of my stocks are on the buy list. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> or, or at least they're on, or at least we cover them. I mean, I've got Sydney Airport, but I wouldn't really be buying that now. I reckon, Ale. JC, um, you would probably have a perfect record of of Dragon's Den pitches, right? I can't recall one that you've put up that has been rejected. Well, you're not back out in. Um, <laughs> oh, but we got, we got there in the end. We got there in the we end. We got there in the end. Yeah. But, uh, so what we've in. figured out from this podcast And you slowed me down a lot on Webjet as well, incidentally, <laughs> which was a good, very good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, we, we threw, well, that's, that's right. Yeah, no, yeah, scratch that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Webjet went straight out, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you, you, no, you were, you, you were okay with Webjet, but it, it was falling so rapidly. It was just sort of, we were, you know, um, watching it go down as I, yeah. as I was doing the work, really. But um, yeah, Mickey, did you have something to say? Oh no, no, no. Well, I mean, no. I was just uh, saying the good thing about the Dragon's Den is if um, if the idea doesn't work out, then everyone saved you from it. If it does work out, you can say, see, I told you. you. Of it, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I still have it. Um, I, uh, PWR for me got rejected from the dragon's den. And to this day, I rub it in every, <laughs> and I conveniently forget all those huge number of dragon's dens that are still, uh, way below the price. I, I bought them to the power, power, power holdings. Is that's not up. Is it since, um, oh, it's, it's only, me. It's only up two and a half times, JC. <laughs> Since the dragon's up, really? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I was the biggest, strongest voice against that as well, I think, if I remember rightly. <laughs> the problem is you, you actually made some sense, so I didn't buy it myself, which is the worst of it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes if you make sense, it, yeah. too much sense, it can, uh, you know, it's those, it's those sensible arguments that really That's get right. you. Because they're the ones they're, that kill they're, they're, they're believable. <laughs> I was listening, I was reading a fund manager uh, article the other day. It was an article written about this fund manager and the way that they do it, which I thought was really interesting, when they pitch an idea for the first five minutes, everyone has to say something positive about it. Oh. And uh, and so to, to encourage everyone to think about 
the good parts of the idea because mm. because the first instinct is you know oh, what could go wrong you know and and um which i thought was an interesting approach and then these guys they don't even you know care about valuation they're just talking about um you know what what could go right that's interesting because for us it's the opposite for us the whole dragonson process the onus <laughs> is on the um, the ID generator to make the case for it. And our job is really to see how we can tear it down. So it's always a little bit adversarial. Uh, and I think that's right. That's the way it should be. I mean, you've got to fight to get onto the buy list. And I think that's the right thing. I find that weird that everyone has to but There's always argues, uh, arguments against, isn't there? I, can say, I mean, look, I can see both sides. You can always make... Good arguments against things. If well, you just you just want to get good stocks on the buy list, I guess. You know, and 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 I guess uh, if you're not good at arguing your case, yeah, good, that's true. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it does introduce um, a new skill in investing, which it's not really something we screen for or train for. But you know, we look for people who can analyze stocks, but um, and who think in the right way. But another part of the um, the analyst's job is actually to present ideas. And, yeah, it is a bit of a skill to, to get Well, that's part of our job with yeah. members as well. We present our ideas to members. Oh, yes. No, if, for, you, for if, us, you do, yes, if you can do that in an article, then you probably should be able to do it. No, you're to, right. To, yeah, to that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But if you're an analyst working at a um, more traditional fund manager, uh, it's probably not something you get trained or tested on, and it's a really important part of the job. But, uh, yeah, I think the th the problem with the adversarial sort of approach is that it gets it polarizes opinion, doesn't it? That's very dangerous isn't it? In, in in the share market. You you need to always be able to, see, as the analyst presenting an idea, you need to be presenting a very in a very balanced way the upsides and the downsides. Mm. And so, you know, it, it, if you want to get your idea through, as it were, then you 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 might be encouraged to sort of push the the upsides more more than otherwise. And that's that, I think that starts to be a bit dangerous, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have strayed way off the reservation. <laughs> We're supposed to be talking. Bring us about, back, and go. Yeah, all right. Let's let's finish this off. We're supposed to be let's let's do this very fast. Then, James, we had a, a quick segment on some of the, these travel stocks that you've been looking at um, and that have jumped enormously over the last two weeks or so. Um, let's have a, a think about Flight Center and Webjet. Um, well, we don't need to go into the details too much because we've done articles and podcasts on those in the past. But just talk to, about, to us about where the price is now. Are these still um, worthy of holding? Forget about it. I don't think anyone's um, at II is really talking about buying them now. But are they still worthy of holding? And are these still long-term investment ideas? Or do you think the case is now permanently changed? Well, Because um, Flight Center now, for example, is a very different business to what it was yeah. three months ago. yeah. Um, well, that's right, and um, you know that's why uh, we've we've taken our price guard off it, and we're we're um, you know we've got a hold. Um, we, you know, I think it's 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 a it, flight center. I mean, it has a, it has a, a strong balance sheet, especially after the capital raising, but it has a one one leg. Its biggest leg of the business, you know, the retail um, uh, business is uh, is permanently compromised i think is the you know i think it possibly was already um we weren't ascribing too much value to that before the pandemic anyway um but now and now they closed half their stores or something i think that that's um 
<laughs> we certainly aren't ascribing much value to it now. Mm. So it really comes down to the corporate business, yep. um, which is very attractive. But if you put all the value onto that, um, then the you know then you're valuing it pretty highly at the current prices. Um, P mm. of of twenty odd, a um, bit more maybe. So that's fine. Twenty um, is a new ten, isn't it? Yeah, well, maybe, but um, but there are risks, aren't there? And um, mm. you know, at the moment, so I think flight center, um, you know, is is more of more of a problem. Uh, Webjet, we're we're only what ten uh, percent or so above the buy price. Um, uh, I should caveat all of this with by saying it's still one of my largest holdings, but I have been selling some because I bought some much much cheaper, and so as as I've been saying, it's it's got to be. Um, too too big a holding, as it were. Um, so, but but you know, so it's it. I mean, I mean, it's with a blank sheet of paper. It's still not far from being where I would, you know, maybe I'd have it fourth on my list if I was going with a blank sheet of paper sort of thing. Um, so it's not that far away from being a buy. I think it's a very comfortable hold. I mean, it, there are certainly risks, and that's why it's speculative. But Webjet has a, um, I think, a more interesting long term outlook with its web beds business, the bed bank. Um, which actually could benefit from technology. Um, it could be, you know, part of the disruption of that industry uh, in future. And so you're, you're to an extent, uh, making a bet on that. Um, and so, yeah, so there's a longer-term growth story um, uh, in a way that I think Flight Center perhaps doesn't quite have. Yeah, there was. Um, I'm really pleased we had a such a, a long and hard look at Webjet because I learned something. Um, really important, and that was to do with the um, negative working capital situation. And we always, I always viewed that, and I think most of us viewed that as a positive. It never really occurred to me um, what happens in a business with negative working capital once revenue starts to fall. And well, I don't think we'd ever really never <laughs> previously seen, before, right? yeah. seen companies just lose all their revenue overnight. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? So. Um, Unfortunately, well, I, I, well, it's a very good thing we looked at it for a long time because as we did, the price halved or something. So, mm. um, I mean, it was it was going down and down. Unfortunately, I got to a, a couple of hours too early before the capital raising. But, um, uh, you know, um, there you go. So, JC, as well, uh, one question I had was, you know, given is it looks like there's a there was two strategies, you know, around kind of raising capital and. Looks like some people, some of the companies, tried to get out of the blocks early and just get the capital raising away, and and whereas maybe some might have been better off actually waiting it out and kind of hunkering down. Do you reckon? Do you reckon Webjet raised capital at the right time, and um, you know they've raised enough money to get to, to actually get through to the other yeah, side? I think they had to. I think their banks were basically telling them, uh, you know, they had a facility, um, but I think that it. Um, uh, you know, it had they, they were they were going to breach the EBITDA covenants, um, and so I think that the banks were able to tell them. You know, the banks told them, "We want you to raise capital." That's that's my assumption. Um, so I think they probably had a little choice. Um, uh, you know, and it, I suppose with hindsight, you say, "Why do they have any debt at all?" But um, it's easy to say that now. Um, whether they've raised enough, um, I think they have, but that's. Partly why it's uh, largely why it's speculative. Um, you know, they they the covenants have been waived. EBITDA covenants have been waived for June and December uh, testing dates. 
um, this year, um, the, but it's still there for June next year, June 21, based on the previous, uh, I think, four months trading. Um, so they need to be making meaningful EBITDA by the second quarter of next year, the June quarter. Um, and, you know, that depends on people getting back to traveling and taking flights and uh, booking hotels. I mean, a large portion of the web business is in Europe. And it looks to me, I mean, I think Italian, I read uh, earlier today, Italian hotel bookings, um, I think, uh, or inquiries, maybe it is, um, for early 2021, are back to where they were pre-pandemic. Wow. So, um, you know, I think that the hotels at least, uh, um, the, the bigger risk is possibly the flights um, because, you know, when when our borders uh, open up again, as anyone's guess at the moment, it depends on so many things. Hmm. Uh, but I think, I, I you know, I, I'm happy to make those bets um, at around the $4 mark or, or cheaper. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to hold it at current prices. Hmm. Nice one. And as you say, Flight Center is a different business now. I'm surprised, surely now we'll see a more informative breakout of their corporate business because we've always sort of talked about that corporate business as being very um, very high quality and, and quite substantial, but they've never really been willing to break the numbers out to let everyone have a look at just how large and high quality it might be. I think we might see that soon. <laughs> they're going to have to do yeah. it, I think, to, get, to uh, keep people interested in that, in that stock. All right, we better rule it off there. Um, unless, Mickey, you have anything else to add? No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, okay. Laura. All right, Mickey, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, JC, thanks again for your time. Pleasure here also. All right, and for everyone else, thank you for listening.